chapter 10, 1 through 13. We read there, And when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices, and very much gold, and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom in the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the setting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices, very great store and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. The navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir great plenty of almond trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almond trees pillars for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singer. And there came no such almond trees, nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants." Many things can be gleaned as we have tried to bring out to you from this passage of Scripture. And one thing that I trust you can glean from it now that perhaps you did not before was, again, by looking at this encounter of the Queen of Sheba with Solomon. And we don't have anything else of anybody else having this type of personal encounter and experience with him in Scripture. I'm sure many did, but this stands out. And the Lord referenced it, of course, again in Matthew, that the Queen of Sheba came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And here we have in detail what she experienced, her reaction to that, what she did, etc., etc. So this is a very special passage of Scripture in and of itself. But as we look at it in the similitude of Christ and sinners who come in contact with Him or come to saving faith in Him, I trust you can kind of use this as a blueprint and think about all the different narratives we have in the brief four Gospels where similar things happen. There was a woman taken in adultery. There was Zacchaeus. There was a Samaritan woman. They were one-on-one encounters, and they all teach us stuff about the grace and love of Christ to sinners. And how that sinners' lives are changed when they accept that grace, experience that grace, and place faith in Christ for who He is. So it's all very similar. And uh, we have a legitimate basis for what we've been preaching here. Today, as we close this out, in verse 10 and verse 13 will be our focus 
We have the interjection in verses 11 and 12 about Hiram, who appears back in the ninth chapter and other places. But specifically in verses 10 and 13, we have the account here of the queen giving and receiving from Solomon. So she gives and Solomon gives or gives back. Now, very obviously, I think you probably all know that in these days and these times and even today to some degree, it is customary when you visit a dignitary or a prominent person to bring a gift. So that was very customary in the day that if you're going to come into somebody's presence or what have you, a dignitary, you would bring presents. Well, I think she probably overdone it as far as what would be minimally required just to come into that person's presence or meet the customary gifts. But nevertheless, I think what she did, and this is personal, this is my opinion, (coughs) I think what we see in her given is more than customary. I see it more as action or works, or a deed that is proof of the confessions that she made that we've been studying. Now, we've looked at those in verses 5 and 6, also 7, 8, 9 there. Her confessions, actually 6 and 7, and then 8 and 9, and I kind of made two confessions out of them as I preached them unto you as far as Uh, you know, the content and substance there is. But again, a confession is just a confession. A confession is just words. And the only way you know the genuineness or sincerity of a confession is by actions and works. It's as simple as what James says. Where there's faith, there's going to be works. He says, you can talk all day. I'm paraphrasing. But James said, you say you have faith? Well, that's good. But if you don't have anything to prove it or authenticate it or validate it, then that's all it is. It's just something you said. Well, she made some big confessions here. And she backs them up with actions by works. So I see that very clearly here. I hope you do. But what we're going to see and look at today in this message is a primary lesson that's throughout the Bible. And that is that is in giving, whether we're talking about giving to God or giving to another individual or human being, it is so important many times. Several things are important, but the most important things gets lost many times. We want to talk out, uh, again, talk and bring about to your attention the importance of giving in the respect of what is given, how it is given, and why it is given. She gave, and Solomon gave likewise. That's what we'll be looking at. Let's look at her giving, first of all. It's told to us right there in verse 10. And by the way, as we come to this, as she gave... Solomon, 120 talents ago, a lot of precious stones and spices. Spices that were unique, rare, and abundant in her country, but foreign to many other places of the world. And the first thing I want to say to you is, is that all of this giving, not only of her, but also of Hiram, in verse 11 and 12 it mentions there, 
This was prophesied. Just flip back to the ninth chapter. The ninth chapter and First uh, Kings chapter nine. Let me get here. I've got the wrong. That's not the verse I want. Oh, it's in Psalm seventy-two. I'm sorry, got the wrong scripture there. It had to be. A, it has to be of David. Psalms chapter seventy-two and verse fifteen. So. David spoke of this. And of course, the Psalm 72, you may see the heading up there prior to verse 1 of Psalm for Solomon. In verse 50 we read, And he shall live, and to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. Now David said this before Solomon was ever king. And, of course, it wasn't just the gold of Sheba from the queen of Sheba, but, again, the gold of Ophir that Hiram and others were giving. But uh, just, just a quick note there that what's happening here was prophesied in Solomon's father's lifetime that it would happen. So, again, God providentially always brings to pass that which is prophesied, doesn't he? And she gave him, it says, 120 talents of gold. Now, you may have a figure in your Bible there. I have one there that uh, in this Bible says that amounts to about 691,000 or 691,200,000, you know. Uh, it, It just depends on the value of gold at any particular time. So when you read commentaries and say they put a value on it, but that may not be today's value. But this is more gold than we can imagine. I'll put it that way. I mean, this isn't just a little handful. I mean, this is a lot of gold. And this was in a day when gold was in a plenty, you know, in that respect, more so than, you know, so much of it being depleted over the times, so forth and so. But... 120 talents of gold. And it's also interesting that back in that ninth chapter, verse 14, the other verse I was misdirecting you, it says there Hiram also gave the king six score talents of gold, which again is 120 talents. They both gave that. Uh, Hiram gave what he gave to Solomon for the building of the temple. If you look up at verse 11, the houses are built, but it says there, it kind of rehearses there that Hiram the king of Tyre furnished him with cedar, fir trees, with gold, according to all his desire, and so forth and so on. So that was to go into the temple and so forth. Bottom line is here, while this was very valuable, Solomon really didn't need it. He was plenty wealthy. He had plenty of, of these things. But it shows her heart and it shows her gratitude in that she gave not only gold but a great amount of gold we're just told precious stones we don't know what i mean these are these are jewels these these are all the various precious stones you know uh, rubies and diamonds any any all of those different kinds of stones They're unique to certain locales throughout the world. So while Solomon may have had some, he may not have had some of the ones she had, so forth. So again, these are, again, the most valuable things of the day 
that she could give. That's the important point. And perhaps it almost seems like the emphasis that's put on these spices, that these spices were the highest, most highly sought after and desired that there were. They were rare. They were unique. Uh, They had them and she could trade for them where she was from that would not be common to where Solomon was. And she not only had them, but she had them in abundance and brought. So it's very possibly, and again, people are divided and we'll never know in this life, but it's very possible that the spices may have been in greater value than the stones and the gold, you know, just because of the uniqueness and the rarity. But nevertheless, this is a huge gift of great value that she gives to Solomon. And we mentioned in a previous message, what do you give to somebody that has it all? Well, I guess the answer is you give the best that you've got. (laughs) That'd be about the answer. But again, we emphasize to you that when it comes to giving of any kind, it is not so much what, or especially when we say what the quantity that we give as is important as the motive by which it is given. And that is especially true with God, but it's also true of us. I have told people, and I don't say this to brag, but I'm saying it in all honesty and sincerity, and God knows my heart. Sometimes uh, an individual and people do, and they want to reimburse you for something that you did for them or reciprocate their appreciation, you know, and, and so forth. And I have told many people, and I will continue to do this uh, in sincerity, just the fact that you're willing to give me that, that's sufficient. It says, take my word for it, it's as good as if you gave it to me. Just knowing you're willing. And I mean that. I mean, because... The motive is what's important to me, not the gift. You know, I mean, the gift is important, but not as much as the motive or the heart with which it is given. And that's what I see here in connection with her confession. She is giving out of her admiration of, I believe, her love to some. How can you not love A man like Solomon who possesses this kind of wisdom and understanding. I mean, if you love truth, if you love knowledge at all, you're going to love Solomon. I mean, you're going to stand in awe of him. You know, I mean, you can love people for a lot of reasons, but Solomon certainly was blessed of God to be loved for the special gifts that he had And the benefits they were to other people. I mean, was there a problem that he couldn't solve probably in his lifetime? I mean, you know, just, again, we talk about it. It wasn't limited to just one area. Whether it was economics or management or spiritual or whatever it may have been, God gave the man wisdom. The Proverbs and all of that. So she gave out of admiration, out of love, out of humble gratitude for this wisdom that flowed out of this individual just like a fountain, an artesian well. I mean, the greatness and goodness, she was so impressed. She could give this, I believe, 
wholeheartedly, genuinely, honestly, and without what we call many times reservation. That is, without doubt, without second guessing, etc., etc. And that's the way to give. That's the way to give. And again, she wasn't giving it because he needed it or was destitute. He had plenty. But that didn't stop her. That's a good lesson also, you know. And the point being clearly, she gave the very best and she gave it abundantly and she gave it willingly. Those things are all important when it comes to giving. Now, you know as well as I do, God is the great giver, isn't he? And it's been said, and it's an understatement. I'll repeat it, though. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. But the things we're talking about here as far as what is given, what's required, what's not required, uh, the motive and thing, the motive in particular is exactly the same with Christ and the gospel. What does God want from you? What does God need from you? What does God request from you? What does the gospel demand of sinners? Well, there's something God wants and something God doesn't want, right? I mean, we make that very clear. God does not need anything of this world. It's already His. There's nothing in this world we can give unto God. We can't go dig up precious stones. We can't Take gold and the most valuable thing in this world is useless to God because it's all His anyway. He created it all. It all belongs to Him. We read that this morning when we started church. So we just wiped that part out. But what does a sinner bring to God? Well, we've talked about that. The natural thing for sinners to do is to bring their good works or their deeds or their self-righteousness to God. Just like the old Pharisee with the publican standing beside him in the temple, right? I thank you, God, that I'm not as this man. I give those tithes. I do this. I don't do this. I don't do that. That was his gift he was bringing to God in that prayer, and God has no use for it whatsoever. It's worthless. In fact, it's an abomination to God to bring yourself and all you've done for God to God in that manner. Likewise, Israel was rebuked of God through the prophet Isaiah because of their formality in religion, wasn't it? Christ rebuked people. Yeah, you give me lip service, but your heart's way somewhere else. God has no use for any religious formality, rites, ceremonies, prayers, rituals. No, when the heart's not in it. In fact, the heart is really the answer to the question. What does the gospel focus on? What are the crosshairs of the gospel on? Not on the mouth, not on a confession. It's on the heart. We read it, Romans 10, a week or two ago. With the heart, man believeth. With the mouth, confession is made. The confession precedes the believing in the heart. You don't have nothing. The confession must be based upon believing in the heart. What does the gospel demand? I'll tell you, it demands you and nothing else. You. What do you mean by you? Well, over and over in Scripture, we see Christ making this precedent, and I'm going to touch on it in a few places rapidly. First of all, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, here's the words of the Savior Himself 
as far as what he demanded, what he required in order to be his disciple. Luke 14, verse 26, we read, If a man come unto me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross, excuse me, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. That's pretty straightforward. We read Luke's version of this because in Luke's version, it explicitly says, He cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying here? We know that to hate another human being is a wrong thing. It's a sin. Jesus is saying it in this language to state the priority. You can't love anything or anybody above me. You can't share me with anybody or anything else. Can't do it. If you want to do that, sorry. You can't, he didn't even say sorry. You can't be my disciple. What's he demanding? He's demanding all of you. He's demanding all of me. He's demanding what the law says. All of the affection and love and commitment and loyalty to Him. That's it. Now that's it. Salvation is not just being forgiven for your sins. It's a commitment to the Savior. That's what He's talking about here. Cannot. He said cannot. This, that's as strong as except you be born again, you shall not enter the kingdom. Except you be converted. You know, except you believe. You won't. I don't have time to read it, but he goes on there about counting the cost and says some things. And in verse 23 he says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to give up yourself and everybody else and everything that you have and everything that there is for Christ, Christ says you can't be my disciple. So again, giving up yourself, and notice it said that in verse 26, not just others, and yea, his own life also. If you're not willing to make that sacrifice, then Christ is not for you. Christ demands first place always. First love, first loyalty, first devotion, first obedience, as we were talking about in Sunday school. Give it all up. You know, he talked in another place. What would you give in exchange for your own soul? A lot of people are trading badly on that question. We don't have anything that we can give the equivalent of what he gave. But he requires that we give ourselves in that regard. We're still there in the book of Luke. Just flip over a few pages to the 18th chapter. And there, verses 28 and 30, we read where Peter says, Lo, we've left all and followed thee. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brother, or wife, or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time in the world to come, life everlasting. That's a, that's a great lesson on giving, isn't it? I mean, 
Your giving to God will not go ever unnoticed or unrewarded because he's able to give even more above and beyond. Now, the disciples, I like this. I'm going to read this. I, I hope I've got time to get all this in. You remember when Jesus called the fishermen, Peter and Andrew and James and John on the shores of Galilee. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 19, I love this because this makes our point. He said unto them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I love this. Verse 20. You know what they did? Did they talk it over? Did they go home and pray about it? They straightway left their nets and followed him. They just dropped it all and went. That's the type of commitment the gospel requires. Well, what about... Forget about it. Forget about it. Christ is more important than everything. Follow me. And a very similar one on that, and this goes on... Well, look at verse 22. Here's when he called the other two. They immediately left the ship and their father... And followed him. That's exactly what those verses meant about hate and father. That didn't mean they hated their father from their heart. You know, had animosity and emptiness. It means as far as priority, father wasn't as important as Jesus was. And neither is mother, neither is anybody else. Can you say that? I hope you can. Christ requires all our love, affection, devotion. He is to be in the number one slot and never shared not even ourselves. That's it. And also, similarly, I'll just mention this. Remember when Matthew was setting at custom? Can you imagine that scene? Here's Matthew setting at custom. Jesus walked by and said, follow me. And that man just pops up and don't count the money or hand it off or whatever. It don't seem like. They just abandoned everything and followed. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's what the gospel demands. That's what Christ says, come. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Leave everything. But most that we read in Scripture couldn't do that. Remember the rich young ruler? He couldn't give what he had to the poor and follow Christ. Too great a cost. Going back to what we didn't read there a while ago in Luke's Gospel about if you're going to build a tire, count the cost. If you've got an army coming, you know, take inventory of what you got, what they got. Others made similar things. Well, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first go say, to my, say goodbye to my family. No. No, that, that's, that's a half-hearted commitment. Jesus said, no. Well, let me go bury my father. i got to do that, and then I, you know. No. In another parable, we read things about, well, well I've got to, uh, you know, in the supper and whatever. i got land i got to take care of. i got oxen i got to take. i got a wife. I, you know, that's not putting the Lord as the number one priority. And that's what he demands. Yet again, others could and did. Zacchaeus, he was as crooked as a snake. I mean, you're talking about an embezzling, stealing dude. He was. And yet that man, by his own admission, he wasn't flattering the Lord. The Lord knew his heart. When he popped up in his own house and told the Lord, everybody that I have cheated, swindled, took money from, I'm going to give this back and restitute four times and so forth and so on. What did the Lord say? He's a lying dude. No, he said this day of salvation come to this house, meaning what he said was true. He was enabled 
to give up the money, to give up heart and that we give all the devotion and love we have others gave a lot more but hers was a great sacrifice because it was all she had that's what the gospel says that's what Christ says give yourself give what you have whatever it may be and I'm not going to read these scriptures but women that came to Jesus at various places and times and anointed him. And I'm not going to go into a big discussion of that. I don't have time here. But we know that there was, um, uh, one was at the Simon the lepers, one was at uh, Simon the Pharisees, and uh, then there was Mary, the mother, the brother of, sister of Jesus, uh, that did this in John's gospel. One anointed him with her anointed this Jesus with one very gracious. And these were poor women. My point is simply this. They gave the best and everything of what they had to Christ. And that's the point we see in our text. And that's the point, again, that we're trying to make with the gospel. Everybody else looked at that and said, man, this cost so much. So much could have been done with this. And they just wasted it, you know? No, no. When you give to the Lord with the right heart, it don't matter if it's a little or a lot. You give your best, it will not go unnoticed. And again, it will not go unrewarded. Remember what the Lord said? The woman that anointed him with on his head, he said, no, she did this for my burying. You know, that says volumes. The disciples themselves not, did not embrace nor believe that Jesus was going to die, much less be resurrected. This woman believed more than all of them put together because she anointed him, as Jesus said, believing. I don't know what she knew, what she believed, but Jesus said she did this for my burial. I don't know how you argue with that. This woman had faith. She knew who he was. She believed what he said. And the other anointed his feet. Her sins were many, and so forth and so on. You know, they gave their best. They gave it all. They gave in abundance. And they gave it with the right motive, and it did not going to notice. There's a statement that Paul said, and we studied not all that long ago, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about the churches of Macedonia and they're giving uh, tribute money, not tribute money, uh, uh, love money, love offering for the saints in Judea. But it says something else about them first. I've got to point this out. In 8 and 5 of 2 Corinthians, you see the churches of Macedonia, the subject, verse 1. It says, and this they did, that was their monetary gift, not as we hope, but note this, first 
gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now the last part, unto us by the will of God, is monetary offering. The previous thing is the root or foundation for giving the money. They gave their own selves to the Lord. That means exactly what we've been talking about. They were fully 100% committed. In place it is a difficult task to reach for the money we've all had to learn that have we not I love that they first gave their own selves to the Lord that's what the Lord requires of all of us give of yourself and all the rest of the giving will be easy very easy well, let's look at verse 13 before we wrap up in our text. It says there, back to our text, that after the queen had given him all that she gave him, it says he gave unto her. First of all, all her. Back with you. I got plenty, you know. He did as we're taught to do. He cordially and courteously received it, obviously, even though he didn't need it, which is what we should do. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, isn't it? You know, I've had people put that to me and I just had to had to bow to it. You know, sometimes I say, no, no, no. You that this is what's to be done. So, you know, God bless you for giving, you know. And we just have to suck up our pride and take it, don't we? You know, and that's all right. Because we know it's better to give than to receive. However, he accepts her gifts even though he didn't need anything. And then he gave her in return. Now, I don't want to enter into a bunch of speculation here, but it says he gave her of her desires whatever she asked. In other words, whatever. He was very gracious, wasn't he? Very gracious. I'm sure he had a lot of real nice stuff, don't you? I mean, after all, he was Solomon. And it may have been gold, and it may have been precious stones or something else like she gave him. But it may have been different. Something different, something unique, but whatever it was, he graciously gave. Special things. There's a variety of things we could think about. It could have simply been advice. 
She was impressed with it. He could have given her architectural plans, things of how to build a foundation or how to build a wall or uh, things of how to do The methods for doing things. It could have been something as simple as the recipes for the food she ate there. But whatever it was and whatever her desire was, Solomon freely didn't hoard it to himself. He was more than willing to share. something like what she had, but very generous, very gracious in that regard. And the lesson is so simple, isn't it? Again, we're looking at this from the standpoint that Solomon, Christ is a greater than Solomon. The queen is a queen in her own right, but she represents in similitude a sinner coming to Christ. She gives the best of everything she had like those we looked at in the New Testament, and yet what? In the end, she's still outgiven in a very nice and very courteous and unoffensive way. Is that not the way God deals with His people? Of course it is. You know that if you're a child of God. You've experienced that already. Christ accepts sin. Don't dress up yourself to come to Christ. Come as a sinner. Burdened with sin. Broken and contrite heart, the psalmist says, two times. He doesn't want our works of righteousness. He doesn't want our goodness. He doesn't want our platitudes. He doesn't want our prayers of That's what he wants. We can't outgive God. Don't even try. It's foolish to outgive God. God has already given sinners the greatest gift there is. God gave, John 3.16, right? God gave His only begotten Son. And when we come to Christ, what does Christ give us and promise to give? Forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And yet He is still pleased for us to give unto Him. Solomon gave her all her desire. You know that promises to us. Now this is, can be abused so very easily. But let's, let's just look at a scripture too and we'll wrap this up. In the book of Psalms, chapter 37 I believe it is. And... Uh,
good, but the gall of bitterness was still in him. He wasn't a changed man. He just wanted the benefit of it. If you claim to be a Christian, you look at that and you think, oh, if I do this, I can get anything I want from God, you better re-examine. How many of you that are Christians here today and don't raise your hand but just answer in your heart, how many of you would really want everything you desire? Oh, God forbid. God forbid, huh? Think about the things we've desired that God didn't give us and we found out later, boy, I'm glad He didn't give me that. I'm sure glad He didn't grant my request on that. I'm sure glad He had a better plan than I had on that. Right? So this is not about greed. When you delight Contentment in Christ that passes understanding. You've heard me say it. I mean it. I may not have much. I've been blessed of the Lord, but you know what? I don't feel like I need anything. I don't feel like I want anything. Of course, I'm 66 years old. That may have a little bit to do with it too, but nevertheless, God is so blessed and you can be so content, you don't have a big wish list to submit to Him. more to her than anything. I think being in Solomon's presence, being with him and listening to him. And that's what we're talking about here. You get that kind of relationship with the Lord. You don't need a boat. You don't need a car. You don't need a house. You don't need a ring. here and I'll try not to comment much and we'll wrap this up. John 14, 13 and 14. Whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may glorify in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Again, that's not a ticket to everything you want. We still pray what? Lord, what's that qualification at the end that we need not forget? Thy will be done.
spirits. And I got to say to you, inclusion conclusion today, as we look at this similitude in so many messages, the queen that left there was not the queen that came there. Her time with Solomon, what she heard, what she saw, what she experienced, changed her life forever. You say, well, you're making, you're emphasizing over it. No, I'm not emphasizing it. She said it. I'm going on the Word of God. She was so taken that it says it's as if she died. There was no more spirit left in her by what she heard, what she saw, and what she experienced. That's, that's, that's just, that took all the starch out of her. And you know what? That's exactly what happens to when sinners come to Christ and are saved and converted by Him. It takes all our pride. It takes all our starch. It takes all of our arrogance. It takes all our selfishness. And we are emptied before Him, aren't we? And that experience of a sinner being saved and converted to Christ and believing in Christ as the Savior, repenting of our sins, is, to put it mildly, life-changing. We use the word transforming transformation it's the greatest thing that can ever happen to a human being and if it has happened to you don't expect anything better it's the greatest thing that ever did happen to you now there's some good things still coming but it all started right there so she left a changed individual and those who believe in Christ are transformed by the grace of God and never be the same again says she went back to her own country. I bet the trip back was a lot better than the trip going, don't you? I mean, can you imagine all the memories, all the words, all the things to run through her memory? And the stories that she had to tell when she got home. Thought comes to mind. You remember the old Gadarene, Deramic, uh, Gadarene Demonic? His name was Legion. The Lord went to that place and one man or two in the other gospel was saved. The meanest, wildest, fiercest, craziest, most unlikely there was who Christ went there for. The common people, the right people, the civil people, all that told him to leave. And that man wanted to go with Jesus. If you've been saved, you want to follow Jesus. Let me tell you. But what did Jesus tell him? No. You go, you stay here, and you go and tell what great things God has done for you. That is astounding. Christ went there for a reason. Queen, when she went back, she had something to talk about. She had something life-changing, life just as much as that gathering demonic. Because the grace of God works in the heart. No matter who you are on the outside, you can be a demonic or you can be a queen. But the change takes place within. And as the saying goes, everybody's got a story to tell that's been transformed by the grace of God. And who knows, who knows how God may have even used this woman in her own country hereafter. But I believe she was an ambassador of the true God. I believe that. And so are we if we've been saved. May God bless this to your hearing.